welcome to the podcast where we talk to guests about five moments in their lives they'll never forget. This is Backstory with Steve Legg. It's fabulous to have you with me today on the new show, where I bring together an incredible array of stars of stage and screen, stand-up comedians and magicians, writers and artists, leaders and entrepreneurs, to chat about the five significant times in their lives they'll never forget. It's great to have you here. It's fabulous news. Yes, one of the most trailblazing tours of all time, Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of the Worlds, returns to arenas throughout the UK in 2022. Based on H.G. Wells' classic Victorian story, The War of the Worlds remains a firm favourite to millions around the world. In 2006, the tour was considered a cutting-edge production, with six trucks filled to the brim. In 2022, marking a momentous 16 years, yes, 16 years of touring, the production will be up to 12 trucks, including a stack of new special effects that will challenge and excite the senses for audiences of all ages, all set to Jeff's iconic score. You know the one I mean, don't you? Yes, that's it. The composer and driving force behind the show, Jeff Wayne, joins us now. Hey, Jeff. Hello, Steve. Thank you for those super words. Oh, man, what a show. We can't wait. <laughs> uh, well, likewise, I, I can assure you the excitement uh, on our side here, not just myself, but everybody involved with what is a very large show. We're very excited. Like so many artists and, and, and bands uh, and all sorts of other shows, that we're hoping to tour in this last year, we were one of those and had to be postponed. So going back, albeit a year later than planned, it's still very exciting and we're working on it just about every day. Oh, wonderful. Now take us right back to the beginning, Jeff. I was re I'm really fascinated by how you became a composer. Were you very musical as a child? Well, I did start taking piano lessons from about the age of five. I was born in New York before moving to England for the first time when I was nine. But my dad was quite a popular singer, uh, performed on Broadway, uh, did a lot of touring of his own. So I grew up around uh, creative people, from performers to writers to directors, and fell in love with music from that age. And uh, I, it obviously stayed with me throughout my whole life. And although my, funnily enough, my uh, two-year college degree was in investigative journalism, journalism, oh, wow. which is where I thought I'd be heading with music as a, a continuing sort of secondary love. But it, by the time I got my degree and thinking I was going to go on to get a four-year degree, a master's rather than an associate of arts, which is what I got, I switched over to music because I realized at that point uh, music was my greater love. I was playing keyboards and bands, writing some songs, not just with my dad, but uh, a, a mate of mine to, who to this day we are always in touch with. We wrote a lot of songs together. So the bug professionally caught me then and there. And then I came to England eventually and settled in as a composer, producer, conductor, MD. Uh, and here I am talking about Martians. <laughs> so H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds, when did you first read the story and what sort of impact did that have on you? 
Well, it had an immense impact for sure, because at, at that point in time, uh, I guess I would have been considered a, a backroom boy, somebody who you know, would produce, arrange for other artists. I had a lot of uh, commission work from uh, TV scores, radio, uh, advertising, film work. Uh, and like most people, you only get to know mostly the product of their work unless you check out the credits, if, if you're even given a credit. Uh, and until I started uh, and came out with the War of the Worlds, which was my dad, actually, who kept reminding me that I had always said, if I could find a story that I felt passionate about, I'd like to give it a go to compose a musical work, not even necessarily an album, or in this case, with the War of the Worlds, a double album, uh, something that I'd record and create and then see where we might be able to take it. And uh, he kept reminding me that because he saw particularly with a couple of artists that I was producing and arranging for at the time, little of it was my own music. The artists themselves were writing their own songs. And he felt that uh, as somebody who loved composing, I should try to find that magical story that uh, triggered me to, to give it a go. And together we started reading quite a number of books, not just science fiction, almost any genre. Uh, and there were a lot of great stories out there, but for whatever reason, until my dad handed me literally this H.G. Wells book, The War of the Worlds, the night before going out on tour uh, with the, one of the artists that I had been producing, David Essex. I was his MD and I put the bands together, did the arrangements, played keyboards. Uh, he just wished me good luck on the tour. And now, by the way, here's another book to have a read of. And with and no, you know, no computers, no internet mm. in those days, uh, which was now around. 1974 approximately and uh, late 74 and I took the book with me and I know we, you know we had been reading probably for the better part of a year all sorts of other books and I read it on tour and, and on one read I knew it was the story that uh, I had felt I could not only fall that I did fall in love with but I could do it justice as a composer or at least wanted to have a go Wow, could you hear and could you hear the music straight away, or some of it anyway? Well, what I could hear, so to speak, not the notation, not tunes or anything mm. like that, but the the first chapter in H. G. Wells's book is called "The Eve of the War," and when I read it, uh, to me it read like an overture if I was thinking of it in, in musical terms, and what that first chapter about was something was about to happen. We didn't know quite yet what it was, uh, although the main character is a journalist who has a friend who's an astronomer named Ogilvy, and he would hang out at his observatory from time to time. And one evening, Ogilvy said, here, have a look at this. And it's looking through a telescope, and there's a green mist up coming from uh, in the universe, coming from Mars. And uh, the question is, what is it? And that really is the underlying mood of what that first chapter is. And uh, that's really what triggered how I composed the opening piece called The Eve of the War. And then it just carried on uh, as the story of H.G. Wells has unfolded, which, by the way, uh, Steve, was never written as a book to start with. It was written as an episodic adventure for a magazine called Pearson's Magazine. In the United States, it was Cosmopolitan. And, uh, you know, magazines of that sort, 
would have authors write stories a chapter at a time as sort of a cliffhanger, you know, where mm. hopefully you like the story enough to want to come back and buy the next edition of the magazine. And that's how H.G. first wrote The War of the Worlds. And uh, then, because of its popularity, his publishers said, do you mind sort of gluing this all together and and we'll publish it as a, as a novel? And that was about a year later in 1898. Wow. Well, every day is every a school day when you chat to yeah. Jeff Wade. So, Jeff, how do you go from writing some songs in your bedroom or office or wherever to becoming a sensation that's won a stack of gongs, including two Ivan Novello Awards? Well, I, I think it always comes back to H.G. Wells. It moved me, and I guess by moving me, whatever I did as a composer and as a producer and, and all that went with it. Uh, it, it moved me and, or guided me, so to speak, you know, that I wanted to keep it true to how H.G. Wells wrote it, the time, the places, the storylines, the characters, and whatever came out of me was because of that. Uh, I was so fortunate with the guest artists that appeared on my original double album and a, a band that mostly I had worked with in other ways uh, on other projects, but so we knew each other well enough to where they uh, would take a, a risk of spending a month or more with me doing the backing tracks and trying to understand what this crazy guy is trying to do with a, <laughs> a story about a Martian invasion. But the uh, they gave me more than I could ever had hoped for. Didn't they just? Were you ever tempted to give up during the writing and production process? And what kept you going, if so? Well, I, I did almost have to wave the white flag to the Martians and give up <laughs> because the, the, I, I was signed to um, CBS Records at the time. It's now part of Sony. <clears throat> and because I had, as a producer, and had signed David Essex, and uh, we were having a great run of hit singles and albums they were keen for me to do the war of the worlds with them and the budget that i had turned out to be about a third of what it actually cost and when i ran out of the money that uh they had allocated for me it was either as i said raise the white flag or as i did i sat down with uh, uh, my very new wife my dad and his wife doreen who was writing the script uh, she was my stepmom named Doreen, and uh, I said, we're just about out of money. Uh, do I stop recording and uh, say we, we gave it a go? Or, you know, I'm a working musician. I'm, I'm not starving. We're not starving. I'm still getting a lot of work offered to me and some lovely work. But uh, to be able to do the, another two-thirds or so of the War of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have to dip into our, uh, not only life savings, we're probably downsize uh, the way we're living and all of that goes with it. And I thought they were going to say, yeah, you got to be smart. You, you know, do the wise thing. And they said, no, you may never get an, another chance to do something of even what they heard at that stage. Uh, so, you know, don't give up. And I didn't. So uh, to give you numbers, the, the budget that I eventually had from, CBS was about £75,000, and the ultimate cost for everything all in was about two hundred and forty. <laughs> so that was, uh, I hope that's an answer to your question. Did I ever stop? Well, I almost did stop and never came back, but that wasn't the case. 
And we're glad you didn't, Jeff. Um, oh, well, thank you. It, oh, it's thank amazing. I can't wait till you come to Brighton, which is just down the road from us. So we're going to come and see it. it sounds very, Great. very exciting. Um, and now each night you conduct world-class artists and musicians surrounded by some of the most exciting technology imaginable. Do you ever pinch yourself? Uh, I, yes, I do. But, you know, I have the best seat in the house because I'm on a podium on the <laughs> stage with everybody else that's performing. So... You know, I'm in it uh, and conducting at the same time. It's uh, I, I always describe my feeling as being like a hovercraft. I'm just off the ground for about two and a half hours and only return when the show's over. So it's that sort of experience. Uh, I don't think I can ever repeat it mm. in any other way. I love conducting just as a as an art form. It's always been one of my favorite things to do even when i'm working on other projects or just studio work you know where you're still doing the conducting it's just not a, a performance in front of an audience but uh it's just got a lot of energy and and rips through one's soul in the most positive of ways and you've called this tour the life begins again tour which is of course is very appropriate for our current situation post-pandemic yeah. but i know it comes from a theme from the same name in your uh, a track from your original 1978 double album jeff did you That's know right. it, it, did you know something we didn't no i didn't it was it was just a moment in the story where by the time the the story ends we've learned that in spite of all the incredible machines and weaponry and the martians are all brain uh, super intelligent uh, the one thing they didn't anticipate was man's own bacteria the common cold, and in a sneeze, they were gone. Uh, but leaving the question that our journalist asked, are they gone for good or will they return once more with the knowledge of what human bacteria uh, and its deadly qualities to Martians was all about? And I wrote, it was a secondary theme, so as the journalist is telling us about this, uh this, as I said, a secondary theme is, is playing, and it's a very melodic, emotional uh, sequence. But I never saw it until many years later as possibly being opened up as a song, which eventually, uh, in 2014, it debuted. It's in two different places in the show, uh, and it's performed by all our guest artists. And the first time is more of a question mark, as it is in the story when my sub my sub theme as i call it was introduced but now it's it's a full song and then after life returns to or begins to return to normal after the martians have perished uh and people are returning to their homes and families it reappears but in a more upbeat way and i debuted that uh, song life begins again in 2014 of course not realizing that here you know we are living through a horrible and sad period in our lives with all that the COVID, uh, you know, has done. Uh, and that's why not only is that song still very much in it, but uh, I've called this tour, the life begins again tour with the hope mm -hmm. that we are around sort of the corner of the worst of it and hope that it never returns. But uh, we, I guess we'll find that one out as time moves on.
Sure. Can you give us a t- little teaser of what we can expect without giving too much away? I went to see Miss Saigon and everyone told me about the blimmin' helicopter beforehand. And it kind of <laughs> spoiled it a little bit. So can you tease us a bit, Jeff? Well, in terms of stuff, uh, when we started touring in 2006, it was already seen as quite a, a large-scale show and the, perhaps the most adventurous uh, item was a Martian fighting machine, which although at that time we had one giant screen and animation set to it, uh, and we see these Martian fighting machines appear for the first time uh, about a half an hour into the story. We also had a physical one that was hidden from the audience and it lands on the stage uh, and fires its main weapon, a heat ray, out at the audience. It's become even more uh, challenging as a, as what it does. Uh, but it's still there and it's about 35 feet tall, weighs over three tons. And the, the heat ray, its main weapon fires real flames out over the audience to about the first 12 to 15 rows. And, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just remained. It keeps adding, we keep adding bits that it can do. So now when it's at its most terrorizing, it, it, it can lean and, and, and go forward. As I said, the flames actually to start with were in more recent years, it was originally more of laser lights. Mm. But when you see these real flames out over the audience, it's quite believable. But that's where we've been. We now fill up 12 trucks uh, as opposed to the six that we started with. So you can imagine how much it's grown. As to new stuff, I think I'll just uh, leave that if I may park to the side, but one of the things that we introduced in 2018, which was our last arena tour, thinking we'd be back a year ago, but um, we introduced or we replaced a bridge that used to appear on our stage, an arched bridge that would just be lowered down, hidden in the, uh, in the upper regions of the stage. And the artilleryman, uh, who has a vision for man's future survival performs a song called Brave New World and the and the bridge was something that he would climb up, move on and sing and perform uh, as part of this sequence. It's a 12, 14 minute sequence called Brave New World. But now from 2018, that bridge has been replaced and it's been hidden above the audience until this particular moment in the second half and it descends and, and sort of clamps itself onto the uh, stage and then extends out over the audience all the way back to the front of house, which in the biggest arenas, you can imagine how physically big that is. It's oh, yeah. big even in the, in the small arenas. So that was introduced in 2018 and depends where you're sitting, but if you're in the, 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 the main area, uh, you're sitting underneath it or to the side of it. If you're sitting above and or further away, you see it from a different uh, point of view. It's very impressive. But we've extended that, not in in size, but it reappears a second time and does some new tricks, which I'm not going to, as I said, go into. But uh, And we have some other new things entirely that uh, I hope will reach our audiences as much as some of our 
established items do. Let's just say otherworldly special effects, I think. That that's kind a of, good word. I like that. Can, or is you, that two you words? Can use that. I think that's four, actually. But there we go. Four, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, you mentioned, you alluded to the amazing cast. Uh, we wel- You welcome the great talents, Claire Richards, Duncan James, Kevin Clifton, along with returning members, Anne-Marie Wayne, of course, who you know very well. And, yes, I've met her before. <laughs> pleased to hear it. And Nathan James, plus the yeah, moody and, and blues. By the way, you, you know who is returning with us for the first time in about 10 years? Oh, go on. Is Justin Hayward. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, from the Moody Blues, who was on my original double album, uh, toured with us for the first, I think it was five tours. Uh, and now he's coming back, and it's been so great. To, I mean, we've stayed in touch over the years. But to see him and to work with him again, which we've done uh, up to about three weeks ago when he's now, he's now touring in the States under his own name. Uh, and uh, to know he's returning, I, I know he's excited and, and we're very excited as well. Oh, so are we. Um, it's been a genuine privilege chatting to you, Jeff. It really has. How good does it feel to be back after COVID? Fantastic. And uh, thank you so much for the kind words, Steve. And uh, Look forward to catching up. We are so excited. That's Jeff Wayne, War of the Worlds Tour, March 2022, Nottingham, Birmingham, Cardiff, Brighton. See you there. Uh, Jeff, Bournemouth, and then into April, Manchester, Glasgow, Leeds, Hull, Liverpool, Newcastle, and London. It's going to be awesome. Thank you so much, Thank Steve. you All so much, pal. Bye now. In the latest bumper Cheers. edition Bye-bye. of Sorted magazine, big name exclusive interviews, Hollywood A-listers, TV adventurer Bear Grylls, inspirational true life stories, adrenaline-fueled sports features. All this plus gadgets, entertainment, motoring, movies and technology. Plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled. Available now from High Street Retailers Nationwide or visit sortedmag.com. Sorted for men. For life. You're listening to the Backstory Podcast, where we remember the good times, the things you love, the things you are, the things you never want to lose. So there we go. Thanks so much for listening right to the very end. It'd be great if you can do me a quick favour before you go. Simply head over to wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars and leave a glowing review too. It really does make a massive difference. Then quite simply, we shoot up the charts, more people listen, and it really is happy days. Thanks a million. You've been listening to the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. Catch you next time.